Hi everybody and welcome to the End of Cells podcast and as usual, technical hiccups at the start but we'll crack on with it. I do want to give a big shout out to our show sponsor Sharna. As I said just before, if you want to get involved with that, some decent clothing, life on the terraces for a football fan, for casual wear, 10% discount code in the description below and also the Lurgan Celtic as well for sending us a crack on top behind me from their last season campaign that we hope so we're all that's our uh, podcast partnership as well so all's going well now front and great to have Lurgan Celtic on board and finally I'm delighted to be joined by Japanese journalist Dan Orlewitz how are you? I'm good happy uh, St. Patrick's Day good morning to you and uh, everyone else who's watching yeah exactly big happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone wants along hope probably people on the beer on anything already Dan's I mean out celebrating parades and stuff but here we're going to be here talking Celtic and Japanese football players so but we'll crack into it, and I, I, I kind of, I mean, last time we spoke, Dan, was summer last year, wasn't it? Just before the Champions League campaign kicked off, around about that time. That's about right. And yeah. We, we, yeah, we were discussing the likes of Amieda, uh, uh, Kyogo, all them types of players. But I want to start with our, our most recent signings and start with one in particular, and that's Yuki Kobayashi from Fisal Kobe. Um, from what I've seen of him so far, left-sided centre-back, and Postacoglu seems to love that type of player. Obviously, Jens has left on the pastures new in Germany. What was the perception of him before he moved to Celtic in, in Japan? Uh, especially last season for Vissel Kobe, Kobayashi was a bright spot uh, in a team that, that could be uneven. Uh, I think that Vissel are a very uh, up-and-down club uh, just because of their circumstances. But uh, defensively, I mean, he was solid. He was... Uh, aggressive, um, young and still a little prone to mistakes here and there. You know, he'd cause, he draws some penalties or, or give, give the opposing team some penalties uh, <laughs> in the box. And that sort of happens, but I think that, that those errors weren't so much an issue with, with his level and, and with his skills, just youthful mistakes. And I think that the kind of thing that you learn from over time, and I that signing, I think we welcomed as a solid one. Uh, I think that you look at him, not a star, um, but certainly there's a, a lot of upside and a lot of potential in in his growth and evolution as a defender. I mean, to be fair, the, the three games he's featured in, he, he played two full games and a half a game, and he's kept a clean sheet, and he, he played against hearts and stuff like that, so tough opponents. What I like about him, I mean, when he first came in for his first game, obviously you're Scottish game, physical, tall strikers and stuff like that. I think a little bit against Kilmarnock. And uh, he seemed to like not, not let, kind of enjoy the physical battle. But what I saw from the second half against Hearts is he was up for it more. He was winning headers. He's a very, like, I wouldn't say he goes to the ground a lot. He stays on his feet and he has a, a good turn of pace. Do you think, like, was he Starfelt in that position for Celtic? Do you think he's a, a serious contender for that position? I, I think it's possible. I mean, I... I look at his progression and, and Tomoki Iwata, who I'm sure we'll get to in a second, and I think that he's experiencing the learning curve that I expected from Leo Hatate when he joined. I think I expected like mm. he, he would get, get appearances, but still have to adjust to the pace of the Scottish game. And I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, but yeah, you, you mentioned sort of staying up on his feet and not going down easily. Uh, that is a quality that we like to see from our defenders and it is very uh, reflective of the kind of game that they, that we play in Japan. It, it players don't go down very easily. And, and sometimes that is pointed out as sort of a negative in, in that they're not mm. attackers, for example, try to stay up and they try to keep possession where they could go down and maybe even draw a foul or a penalty. Uh, but you know, when it comes to defense, I think you do have to stay up. You do have to fight for it. And I think you, you do see in his in his style, uh, in his spirit, you know, he, he's, he's solid in, in that sense. So uh, can he become a starter? I, I'd like to see it. I think we're, we're looking at, uh, we'll get to it, the, the new generation of defenders who are coming up. Uh, Japan is looking a little thin at the back. That's one of our biggest concerns uh, coming to the next cycle. So I think that we will be looking to see how he and some of his other colleagues in Europe uh, pr progress. Yeah, I mean, he does do... He, he, I mean, his distribution, for one, is top quality. The way he can just find the pass and he can he can cut in the middle as well. And I think 
when you play Starfelt in that position, although I love Starfelt and most of my podcast members do as well, you lose a bit of that quality coming in field where Starfelt's always looking for that out past the Greg Taylor. Kobayashi can mix it up and play it in the middle. But, I mean, the signs are looking good. He's played two and a half games, kept three clean sheets. And as you said, Japan squads will, will come on to that. That's a bit, uh, I don't know, a bit, a bit weird at the minute in terms of uh, Hatate and Kyogo. But I know you kind of give your explanation of what the coach was saying on Twitter, but we'll come on to it. The next signing I want to talk about is uh, Tomoki Iwata, J-League Player of the Year. Now, to be fair, like I thought he would have got more game time by now, but what I can see is what you said there. He's doing the Hatate learning experience because last season it was a necessity that Hatate had to play straight away, where Iwata for me now can come in, drips and drabs, 10, 15 minutes, and straight off the bat what you notice is his speed, his engine, He's mobile. He can cover the ground really well. With yeah. um, Postacoglu's former club in Marinos, was that the perception of him there too? Absolutely. He he's not going to you know rush from box to box, but he is just in, in midfield such a reliable presence, such a strong presence, and I think that he is maybe what we were looking for out of Yosuke Itaguchi and didn't quite see in terms of just the ability to 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 be that presence in central midfield and, and to really control things and, and distribute. And, and uh, I think that having played at Marinos uh, really does benefit him. Uh, he, he understands uh, Kevin Muscat is obviously playing sort of a, an evolution or sort of a branch of Angeball. And I'm not going to say it's Angeball because Kevin Muscat has made it his own thing, but it, it is from the same family tree. And so I think he's very well positioned uh, to to continue to play. I think that we're going to see a lot more of him, especially from next season. But go you know, for the for the rest of this season, he'll get the appearances when he can, and I think that when he does, he'll have chances to impress. Yeah, Charles Smith comes in about the next season. We'll push for Moy for a starting place. That brings me on to my next point. Do you think this signals maybe a formation change, possibly in European football, by Postecoglou? Because he alluded to it in January, saying that he's looking ahead to try different things. Is that something he's done at his former clubs? Because you, you looked at uh, Morelos, for example, I think sometimes they play with a back three, like a three five two type formation. Mm-hmm. Can you see that being implemented even more at Celtic now with the likes of Havada and Kobayashi? I, I think that when you have the depth that he is clearly assembling to be able to make those sorts of formation changes and, and to mess with different systems, you go with it. Uh, it when he was in the J League, I, I've said some variation of this when uh, Ange joined Celtic. It's plan B was always plan A, but better. And I think that that works uh, a lot of the time in, in the domestic leagues. Uh, worked in the J League. It, it has certainly worked uh, in the Premiership. But when you're getting into Europe, when you're getting into the Champions League, you do need to come up with alternate plans. And you do need to adapt and so I think you could very well see uh, different ways of doing things, but still with that same core, you know, the ne- never stop, always connecting passes, always pushing yeah. forward. I think you can keep that philosophy, but change the shape of it. Yeah, I mean, remember you said before in another podcast you are on, the second season, when you see the best of Postacoglu, and mm-hmm. it certainly seems like that, even though we kind of steamrolled the league last season in the end. This season, we've kicked on another level, and I still think there's there's levels there to be reached. But before we go on to Postacoglu himself, just a final point on Iwata, and that's the transfer fee, Dan. Now, again, another issue that we spoke about before. When is the J-League, do you think, going to take advantage of this? I know that they're good-natured, and they want their, their, their exports and their play- players to go on to European football and mm-hmm. achieve success, because that's good for their club. But I mean, the reported figure, 875 grand, I believe, something in the round that, to a million pounds. That, mm-hmm. for me, is a snip for a J-League player of the year, isn't it? It, it is. Uh, I think that this does, in part, come from how Yokohama F. Marinos as a club are doing business. And there are issues with that. The fact that they did let, let so many important players leave over this winter, and they didn't really make the signings to, to fill those gaps. Um, I, I don't really know what i don't know if they've reported their they won't report their financials uh for the fiscal year until i believe may it's June, rumored so maybe rumored yeah <laughs> i mean it's uh, it is the same thing as they did with dyson mido which is a loan to sign over the summer 
Uh, so it is what it is. Um, but the the J League has talked about this. Uh, Japanese football officials have discussed uh, the fact that yes, they they can't keep letting the best players go for free because the clubs do need money to invest back into the academies, invest back into the first team. Mm -hmm. uh, we are seeing uh, this year, and this is getting really into the weeds, and I apologize uh, to the, get, the get listeners. Go as far as you want. Go as far as you want. Um, but, but the J-League is uh, changing how it distributes uh, money to the, the top finishers in the league over the course of the season, and, and they're, they're adjusting it so that instead of, I believe what was a two-to-one ratio uh, for the top J1 performers, the top J2 performers, it's going to end up being something like seven to one. Um, right. With with the goal, with the goal of really rewarding clubs that perform well in the J League and helping them become bigger clubs, because I've talked a lot about parity in our league, and that is exciting because it does mean that you you truly don't know who's going to win the league and in. in most seasons but mm -hmm. by not having a super club or two or three or six by not having that elite tier you are creating a situation where none of the clubs can really get too far ahead and that does hinder growth when it comes to continental performances when it comes to clubs having resources to be able to being able to sign elite players like Andres Iniesta for example yeah so the goal is to create that cycle and, and whether or not this is the right way of going about it or whether or not that cycle is the best way uh, to move Japanese football forward. That's something we're going to have to figure out over the next four years. Uh, but um, I, I think the, the league is aware and, and that they're working on it. I think that some clubs are becoming better than others and more savvy about pushing for transfer fees and, and more advantageous contracts. I mean, we had the difficulty of getting O from the, the South Korean club. He was that they were kind of holding out for a bigger transfer fee. And you, you, you expect that. I mean, the J-League, let's, let's be fair here. I think the ignorance is gone now. We all know the quality of players that are coming through and coming over to Scotland and, and other leagues like the Bundesliga La Liga. They're all performing really well. And they go by the, the Japan national team. I mean, outstanding performance at the World Cup. So there's no one having ignorance on, on my part towards it. Do you think the, the, the end goal is, I mean... The Japan national team to probably win a, a European trophy or a an, an Asian trophy or whatever, or do you think they're they're trying to make the J League one of the best leagues in the world? So, I mean, th this is the J League was originally founded uh, in, in the early nineties, and, and the goal of bringing professional football to Japan was at the time to help the national team develop and to get the national team to the World Cup. Uh, which finally happened in 1998. Uh, so the, the J-League and the national team are obviously run separately. The, the J-League is its own independent thing, and, mm -hmm. and the national team is under the, the Japan Football Association. Uh, and I think that everyone is on the same wavelength in, in terms of they want football to prosper in Japan at the grassroots level, at the professional level, at the, the national team, international level. And so I think everyone recognizes at this point that Japan's best players going to Europe is a good thing to such, yeah. for, for most definitions of a good thing. The question is, how do you continue to make the J league attractive to local audiences? How do you keep attendances up? How do you keep stars, either keep stars there or bring in new stars, foreigners? Uh, for example, we have uh, tomorrow I'm going to see, Kawasaki Frontale plays Seto Osaka and Shinji Kagawa, who was at Dortmund, who was <laughs> so, yeah, at Manchester Kagawa. United, big big player for the national team in the 2010s. So there's a couple different things. Yeah, on a couple different levels, they're working on it. Uh, I don't think Japanese. I don't think the Japanese football world thinks of it as it's not a zero sum game. It's not that the J League wins or the national team wins. I think they're looking for a yeah. way to have both. And I think you can achieve that. Um, you brought up O, which is a really great point. And I think that for a while, there was a lot of speculation that that transfer wouldn't happen uh, because yeah. his, his Korean club was being so insistent. And uh, I've talked to friends who are 
uh, very up on, on the on, on the Korean leagues and on uh, their setup over there, and they've suggested that that's actually to the detriment of Korean football. And you, if, in fact, if you count the number of Koreans who are playing in Europe versus the number of Japanese who are playing in Europe, uh, it's night and day. Uh, the fact yeah, I think that at this, at this point, I think Japan has over 70 players in sort of elite European countries, either the first or second tier. So yeah. for Japan to get that far, yes, you have a lot of good players, maybe not spectacular. You have a lot of good players going to Europe when they could afford to stay in Japan for another season or two. That's maybe an issue. Do you, do you really need to go to Belgium when you turn 21? Do you need to go to Portugal when you turn 21? Can you afford to maybe stay yeah. in the J League for a couple more seasons and then go to Germany instead or go to France instead or go to Scotland instead? So yeah. that's something that I think that we have to work on uh, over the long term. But uh, Korea takes a much more conservative approach. I think the clubs there they want that revenue and so they're going to push harder for that transfer fee. And I, I honestly forget uh, what O's transfer fee ended up being reported as and I'm sure it might have been higher than Iwata or Kobayashi uh, but yeah it, it's just it's sort of a different way of doing things but if you look at how Japan is doing on the international stage at the world at this world cup we are getting results there and so it's just yeah. again that question of how do you turn that into cash flow I mean, it's hard to because I'm a good point. Jelly players seem to have a very good standard. The players have a good work, work ethic to the game, 100%. Brian Warrior came in questioning what the Japan manager said about Scottish football. We will come on to that when we talk about the World Cup squads and stuff. But the, the comeback, yeah, I think one of the big things as well with, with Japanese football, from an outsider point of view, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I, I know little about it other than the players who signed. It seems to be that the university system interests me. Because obviously they're educated. And then you look at Atate, you look at Kyogo, they, they to me haven't hit their peaks. So is, is that what you're like referencing to? Like a, a young Japanese player, 21, can kind of skip that step going to Belgium, failing at Belgium and coming back to Japanese football only to get that move later? If you cut that out, then there might be a progression with the football then. So there, there's a couple of routes there. And the issue with. Sorry, I'm just trying to think of where to start with this because you um, can get go get really deep here. So, let's say that you are a Japanese player in an academy system, either in an academy system or playing for a high school, a notable high school uh, program. You turn 18. Uh, you have two options. One is to join a J League club as a rookie, essentially. Uh, on, I think, a type B or C contract. Uh, I don't quite remember offhand. And, or pro, I should say pro B or pro C. And then you sort of work your way up and you eventually get the A contract. And eventually, um, if you're in the right position, yeah, you can make a move to Europe, but it will be much more under whatever terms you signed as an 18 year old. And those mm -hmm. can be sort of restrictive just because uh, in Japan, the age of adulthood is more or less 20. Uh, that is changing for some things. But when you're signing as a teenager, uh, you don't necessarily have as much freedom going into your first club. Or you can go to university, uh, play there, play for a J League club as a um, special designation player. That That's this program that the JFA has where you can play, you can join a J league club, participate in training, even get called up for games and keep your mm -hmm. college eligibility. So you can still play for your college team. You can still represent them in uh, the Emperor's cup, for example, which Kawada Mitoma did. And he, you, him at Brighton, I think is the best example of what yeah, he's a player. He's can produce amazing player. And I think that what that does is it gives, if you're, if you're coming into the J league from university, it gives you uh, a better, better circumstances under which you can sign a contract because if you're coming up from the academy, well, your, your academy club is going to have first dibs at signing you. If you're coming from university, 
you can sort of talk to whoever you want and you can set the terms. So if you're a 21 year old Kawada Mitoma uh, and you go to Kawasaki Frontale, you say, hey, our Reds are offering me more money. This is an example. I'm not, this, I'm just sort of throwing this in. Don't take this. Like, That's actually like, happened. This just, <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, but, I mean, Mitoma was attached to Kawasaki for a long time. But for example, if he wanted to say, well, or our Reds are offering me more money, but I will sign in with you if you set a low um, release fee for a European club. Mm-hmm. So that's how, for example, you know, players like Wataru Endo can will play with Shonan Belmare instead of hopping straight to a bigger club. It is their way of, you know, it is also this is also how smaller clubs secure the services of good players who they normally wouldn't yep. be able to sign. So this goes back to what I was talking about in terms of stru- how to structure the contracts to make it more, you know, to, to benefit J League clubs more. A- and it's a question of well, how are you structuring the youth contracts? How are you structuring the contracts for new pro players? How are you structuring co- contracts from for players out of university? Uh, Kyogo had a few years at at Gifu and then Kobe out of university. Uh, Mitoma had a season and a half at Frontale and then he went to Europe. I mean, the Premier League via Belgium, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so they do, I guess they, some managers here have talked about the idea of, well, if you're going to play in, if you're going to go to Belgium or if you're going to go to Portugal and you're not going to make the bench for 90% of the games, if you're only going to get garbage time, what's the point of that? You know, if you could, when you could spend another season or two in the J league, starting every game, getting full appearances, raising your profile. So it's a complicated thing. And I think that a lot of players, they look at this national team and they look at how many players are in Europe and they look at how young the players are when they're going to Europe and they feel that pressure. So they think, oh, I have to go to Europe sooner. I have to go younger. You know, I have to, I have yeah. to, and, and so it, it's, it's a challenge. Um, and not everyone figures, some players go and they sort of disappear into, into, you know, Belgian and Portuguese first and second tiers. And some players do impress there and then step up to the Bundesliga uh, or Spain or, or wherever. Uh, so it's just a question of what's the most, not just what's the most efficient, but what's the best plan for these players and how do they grow? Yeah, and again, it goes back to that. It seems like a wee bit of a culture thing. There, you say that players feel pressure to move early on and early on. Well, we'll talk about the Scottish football we've been in the J League now because it seems to be interlinked. Obviously, when we're talking and the broader landscape of it, I see Motherwell saying Ricky Danzaki, uh, Hearts of saying Yuturu Oda from Fasel Kobe as well, and then Aberdeen are linked with Ricardo Rodriguez as a manager. But before we go into the, the ins and outs of it, do you think that this could be a good thing as well for Scottish football? Do you think this could be, not like a, 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 I don't want to sound disrespectful, but a feeding ground if you're getting Japanese managers coming in, or has it opened a different landscape up with Posto Kondu coming into the league? I, I think that... If it's, I'm really curious to see how uh, Ricardo Rodriguez does if this Aberdeen move does go through, uh, because I, I think that it, it, it at this point everyone understands that Japanese players are quality and that, that you can be in the J League mm-hmm. and do really well and use that to advance your career. Managerially, it's a little tougher. Uh, we haven't had too many examples of j-league coaches really going to europe and then getting a step up and turning that into into a big career you had arsene wenger at arsenal mm-hmm. you know, yep. via nogoya grampus uh you have Ange at celtic now uh you could have ricardo Rodriguez, who's uh i think he coached in in spain for a bit but he spent most of his career in asia uh saudi arabia mm-hmm. thailand and, and japan and now he's getting a big chance so I think that with the amount of attention that Japanese players are getting and that J League clubs are getting, uh, the coaches are going to start to get attention. Uh, from my perspective and, and from the from the Japanese football perspective, we do want to see more coaches go to Europe. 
um, not just foreign coaches, but especially Japanese coaches. I think that's one of our biggest yep. weaknesses uh, right now. And that's the most difficult gap to bridge because there's culture, uh, there's language, which is really tough. We have had Japanese coaches go to Southeast Asia, uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and they've done decently well. Uh, but being able to create a Japanese coach who can say, go to Scotland and coach a second mm -hmm. or first division club, that would be a huge accomplishment. And I don't quite know if we're there yet, um, but that's something to look forward to over the long term. And that's something I, it's, it's a bucket list thing, but it's something that I think a lot of us would like to see. Yeah, I think it's where like the whole like Brian Murray comes in with a good point. Scotland could be a gateway to England and our Europe for these players. I you prove yourself in Scotland where the game is similar, but not the highest level, then hope you shine. I mean that that's necessarily what it is for all leagues who aren't in the top five, isn't it? You go to leagues and hope you get that move. Do you think see where for Ricardo Rodriguez? I find it interesting. I'm all about ambition for Scottish teams, right? I, I, I don't like seeing the journeyman Scottish players signing for the same club or another team in the SPFL or and a free agent being dished around clubs, all that type of stuff. For me, they look at Aberdeen, and they're showing a bit of ambition here. If they go for Ricardo Rodriguez, mm. Alan Burrows just went in there as the chief executive. Do you, what? What can you expect from a Ricardo Rodriguez team? We, we know that you're Reds, who were linked with Jack and Macus. I think it was they put a bid in for him. It wasn't quite successful. And that's mm. where the link comes with Celtic. There. What can What can you expect from from a manager like him? Uh, he has done a lot. In Japan, over, I think he's spent five, I, I want to say five, maybe six total seasons between Tokushima and then Arawa. Uh, he helped Tokushima get back into the J1, which was a really big accomplishment uh, for, for a club that doesn't necessarily have quite the amount of resources that some of the J2's bigger clubs have had over the years. Uh, he came into Arawa, and despite being... Uh, on paper, one of the most successful clubs in Japan, uh, league title, two continental championships, a number of, of league and, and, and the Emperor's Cups. They had been very aimless, directionless for the, much of the last decade. Um, if, if I were uncouth, I would say it was, it's been a shit show for, for quite a while. And, and he, but he came on and, uh, the the 2021 squad. I mean, they finally found direction, and even though it was the pandemic and and you had the attendance restrictions and, and the support restrictions, and it was a bit sort of a bit wasteful to to have them playing such interesting football uh, under those conditions. But he gave them direction, and they responded, and they won the Emperor's Cup, which was a big deal in Japan. Uh, there were very high expectations for them to contend for the J1 last season. And they struggled with injuries and there were some finishing issues. Uh, the attack just never quite clicked into gear uh, at some key points in the season. And despite getting to the finals of the, the current Asian Champions League, which finishes in late April, early May, uh, they were never really in contention for the league. And, and once they once they were out of contention for the J1, the fans sort of shifted away from Rodriguez and Rawa fans are very much like Celtic fans in terms of their passion. Uh, yeah. In terms of that, Rawa fans have an expectation that every season their club is supposed to contend to win the J1. Yeah. Uh, and I think Celtic fans feel the same about their club. The difference is that I think... Celtic has have the talent to do that every season, and Urawa haven't necessarily had that talent, but the expectations are still there. Uh, and so, when the fans know they aren't going to get what they want, they say, "Well, on to the next person, whoever this is." Uh, and, and this yeah. was uh, the club had a three-year rebuilding plan uh, that ended last year, and so now they've sort of moved on to the next phase, and they've brought on. Uh, Skorja, who uh, coached in Poland for many, many years and was very successful there. But, you know, Rodriguez, uh, I think that he can do he, he can do interesting things. I mean, it's tough to go into a league where you do have this two-horse race at the very top of the table. Uh, you, yep. you do have to 
you do need measured expectations, but uh, you, you do have a coach who's done well in Asia, uh, which, which is a very challenging region uh, to be a manager. Uh, it takes a lot of different skills. And I think that he can bring that to Scotland. Um, on the point of Scotland possibly being this sort of stepping stone league, uh, yes, I agree. And that is what Belgium is. That is what Portugal has become for a lot of Japanese players. Uh, Belgium in particular, because you have St. Troiden, who mm -hmm. are owned yep. by a Japanese company. Uh, Daichi Kamada started there. Uh, Takehiro Tomiyasu started there, and now he's at Arsenal. Uh, a number of... Daniel Schmidt, who's, who's currently sort of Japan's number one goalkeeper, is currently playing there. So you do have a lot of players going up through that system, uh, and, and St. Troiden is their stepping stone. And then if they can yep. make it, if they can hack it, they move to bigger clubs and bigger leagues. Uh, and, and so I see no reason why Scotland can't be a similar league. And it helps because especially for players whose ambition is to play in the championship or the premier league eventually, because you do get that help with an English work permit. And so th there's a lot, there's nothing but positives there. I mean, t I mean, a lot of EPL clubs love using Belgium as their feeder clubs type thing. They, they've been saying players on London, or the city group especially. Um, just to come to the comments, Brian Moore, kind of backing up what you're saying, Scotland was always a good stepping stone for Scandinavian players. Amply done, right, buddy? Problem is for the, for the other teams, the ambitious or left field moves haven't worked out so far, i.e. Glass Maloney. I love Scottish football, but sadly the majority of it is very insular and a backwater. Again, yeah, totally agree. And what Dan was saying there, you have to temper expectations with Rodriguez coming in. But again, I'm looking at it going, Aberdeen should be looking to break the mould. If you're getting a manager in like Ricardo Rodriguez, you should be aiming a, a wee bit higher, especially with a, a decent budget. And that Charles Smith can back in. The standard of the SPL players, not the best. Overall, the J League players will, will, raise, will raise this and give Scottish Youth players a new look on how to improve you. And what I love as well, Dan, we'll move on to the, the Celtic chat again. What I love as well, the Japanese players are very humble. They're very just personalised and they set a good example. I, don't, I haven't seen a bad egg yet coming out of Japan for Celtic. I don't know if you've ever heard of any cases, but I'm sure there is, obviously. But you look at Mieda, you look at uh, Kyogo Hatate, they're always burned when they come off the pitch. They're respecting their opponents. To some people's displeasure, by the way, get over to seeing if they're all right all the time. I don't mind it. It's just a part of the culture and stuff. But we'll talk about the Champions League. And I remember we tried to organise the Kamana stuff, but things were happening in my personal life and, and you as well, Dan. We couldn't get it organised. But we'll just kind of gloss over it here. Where do you think the, the likes of Atate and Kyogo and Mieda ranked in that Champions League uh, group for Celtic? I mean, Hatate's performances were phenomenal. Um, I think he was... He had to be the highlight uh, for us. And, you know, I think it was a disappointment. I think everyone was sort of disappointed to not see Celtic get more out of that group. Uh, but mm -hmm. individually, I mean, it, it is their first time as players testing themselves at that level. And so, yeah, I think that it, it is a challenge for those players, but for Hatate to do as well as he did against, you know, the likes of Real Madrid, uh, yeah. those were some, some amazing performances. And, and uh, you don't want to say that, I, I don't think it was a case of, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, the, you know, the rest of the team let him down or whatever. Certain, certainly that's not the case. I think that it was a wake-up call for everyone. Um, but especially in those sorts of really difficult games when you're outmatched in terms of squad quality, I mean, those, those are the games that you're looking for good performances. That Those are games that you want to see how far, how, how, how much can these players push it? I mean, Hatate can do whatever he wants against... Yeah, you know, the, in the in the domestic league, and he has. But how far can he go against top European oppositions? So it was just a joy to see him uh, pull those sorts of games off, and and uh, the anticipation is that he'll be able to do more of the same next year. Yeah, I mean, talking about Atate, I watched the wee compilation video of him against Real Madrid in the Champions League there yesterday, and there was points in that game where he was literally going past them like they weren't there, and he was playing uh, crossfield passes, the famous one on the volley, pinged to the left, I think it was Jada caught it. Do you think, like, with, with Hitate, now, we'll bring the, the Japanese manager into this, he questioned the level of Scottish football. Personally, I think that's going to 
virtual signal signs that these players want to move on, which I don't want to happen. But do you think with the likes of Atate and Kyogo, if they continuously get overlooked by the, the Japanese national team, do you think maybe they will be questioning if they have to move on? Or is it the case of the stick and twister and just keep playing and they'll get their chance? So I, I think that, I think now we're getting into it, but I, I think that Moriasu's comments, I mean, I, I translated them, obviously I'm sort of translating live mm-hmm. on the fly as he's saying this, and, and I, I think I thought I was being fair uh, to what he said, because he did say that, like, well, they considered the level of how what each player is in and how they're playing on, on a regular basis. And I, I think that there is a difference. I hope this isn't two apples to oranges, but there is a difference between the opposition that Celtic face week to week in domestic competition and the level that, say, Arsenal and Takeiro Tomiyasu face week to week in domestic competition. Now, I get, I get that argument. I get that argument. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So, so I, I think that they're looking at that and you know, they have to, it goes back to what I said earlier about how there are 60 or 70, more than 70 Japanese players in Europe now. They have a lot to look at. Um, and, and so I, I think, I mean, we would all like to hope that when Moriasu said he recognizes the the level that Kyogo and Leo are playing at and that he acknowledges that they would bring something special to this team, I think everyone hopes that he is genuine when he says that. Um, Do they think that they need to move on to get a spot in the national team? Uh, That's, you would have to, I I don't want to put words in their mouth, Um, especially because I know. From your your perspective, because you've obviously seen them come from Japan to to Scotland. Right. I mean, I, I think that I'm not, particularly concerned that they didn't get called up this time around. I mean, this is, again, I'm looking at it as in the context of Japan has nine friendlies between now mm-hmm. and when they play their next competitive game because uh, World Cup qualifying does not start for us until November. So that's nine friendlies. And so if Moriasu wants to be a bit experimental for the first of those, the first two of those nine friendlies, I'm not concerned uh, because I think we all know that yes, Hatate would, Hatate and, and Kyogo would be great assets to any Japan squad. But do mm-hmm. you need them for these games? No, like it it doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter. But but if they're not called up for the June friendlies, I believe there's three of them in June. I start to get a little concerned, and I think that. At the very latest, they should be called up for the October friend. I believe the October friendlies are going to be played in Europe, which means they don't have to deal with yeah. the travel. Uh, and so, if they're not in the squad by September, September window or the October window, then we have a problem. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, as far as finally getting to your question about do they feel like they need to move on to have a better chance at the national team? I think that if you are playing at this elite level and you want to improve as a player, then you're always looking for that step up. And so regardless of what they are thinking about that in the national team in particular, yes, you know, if your goal is to play in the premier league for, you know, top six club, then like Mm -hmm. that's, that's always going to be on your mind. And, And I don't think that they're packing their bags, but, you are thinking about eventually taking that step up. And I think that taking that step up does come, you know, it it does get attention and yes, it may make you more attractive in terms of national team call-ups because you are playing against a much higher level of opposition week after week. Um, You know, the, their champions league campaign was six games and and that's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Uh, but it's much different than you know the Premier League and 38 rounds against you know sit your cities and your Uniteds and and your Brightons, uh, for example. So uh, it's uh, you know, I, like I said, I'm not bothered uh, by this. I think that 
what Moriasu is doing with this national team or with this squad makes sense. He wants to sort of kick the tires. He wants to see how well everyone's doing. Three months later, after the World Cup, uh, he wants to give a handful of potential uh, Olympic players, you know, some inspiration, some motivation. Mm. Uh, and I think that's all fine. Um, but eventually, yes, you do want to see Kyogo and Hatate in the lineup. And I, th- I think that he, if Moriyasu didn't want to send them a message, he wouldn't have answered the question, which he he's said in the past, he doesn't like to talk about players who aren't selected, uh, but he answered the mm-hmm. question. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I hope I've, expressed enough nuance in my answer but uh, I, I yeah <laughs> to be fair to you like when you break it down like that it obviously sounds a lot better but when mm-hmm. it's always the same for me people question the level of Scottish football the ambition of football players in the play in that league should they move on after one or two three seasons and I, sometimes mm-hmm. like you look at Nakamura Charles Smith came a great point beforehand he was a Japanese legend while he was at Celtic yep. so you can flourish in your national team and play for a Scottish club. I don't think there's any issue with that. Antonios comes in. Kyogo was 28. I feel for him not making it to the last Japan World Cup squad, as it may not have, it may have been his last opportunity to represent the, the team at a World Cup. You, you look at Kyogo. Do you think, for his personal level, he's playing the best football of his career so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, his case is a little different because he did get opportunities to play for the national team. And he didn't really make the best of them. Um, mm. I, 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 you can't blame, you can't necessarily blame him because the, the way the national team playing is playing or was playing, I should say, was not necessarily suited to the kind of football that he's playing at Celtic. Uh, but the, 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 the problem that you have is that, well, if you're getting called up to the national team, you have a week, you know, on the practice pitch, you have a couple days to, to practice and then you have two games and you do have to make the most of your opportunities when you get them. So that is a little yeah. on him. Um, you know, it's, I'd say a little on him, a little on Moriyasu, but, you know, I think that the one challenge that those of us who follow Japanese football are guilty of is that, when we look at the national team, when we critique the national team, when we critique Moriyasu, it's because we, it's because Moriyasu isn't playing the kind of football that we think he could play with a little more, with a little more bravery, given the tools he has at his disposal, because you can, if you want, you can play Ange ball with this team. Um, as far as Kyogo's age, I mean, he'll be 32 or 31-ish, 31, 32 for the next World Cup. I don't think that's an unreasonable age uh, to play for Japan. I forget how old uh, Yuyo Sako was in 2018. I mean, he was sort of on the bubble uh, for Qatar and he's in his early 30s. You know, it, it's, especially when it comes to Japanese players, I mean, we have so many uh, very accomplished Japanese players who are playing into their 30s, uh, even into their 40s. Uh, if you look at Kazumura <laughs> into his 50s. So... Is there, is there was another footballer signed for a Portuguese team? He's 50 in, in his 50s or something? 55, and he's... So he's, so he's signed for a second division Portuguese club, uh, and the a Japanese company bought them uh, over in the fall, oh, right. and it's the it's the same company that owns Yokohama FC, which is who his Japanese club is. So he's there on loan, I believe, for half a season. I don't even know if he's played yet. Um, well, that's so, yeah, incredible. Like, that is incredible. And they want to be another sort of stepping stone for Japanese players, which is what we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to bring in Japanese youth players and and give them a chance. And I don't know if signing a fifty five year old is sending the best message in that regard, but. Yeah, yeah. So I I do think that Kyogo is under more pressure because if this wasn't his last chance at the World Cup, then certainly 2026 is probably his last chance. But you can even say things like maybe he should be an overage pick at the Olympics next year. Mm-hmm. That would yeah. be perfectly you know plausible. Um, yeah, I think there's plenty left, and like I said, I think that Kyogo, or as far as Hatate is concerned. 
it was 2022 was too early for him, but I do think he can, should, and will be a star uh, at in 2026. I can see it more from Tate's point of view that maybe you're right, Dan, it was too early, but Kyogo just baffles me. But we'll talk about a player that, ha- that he seems that the Japanese manager seems to have a wee bit of a sweet tooth for, and that's Maeda, who went to the World Cup. Much to our surprise as well, because he wasn't really on form before that, but what I can say, since the World Cup, he's come back like a man possessed. He's been on form, he's scoring goals, he's assisting. Do you think, like with Maeda and that Japan team, playing up front as a striker, we don't necessarily see that at Celtic. What did you think of him, and especially his form after the, the World Cup? I, I think that you look at how he played for Japan, and he he is probably the, the best argument for the people who defend Moriyasu's squad selections. The fact that I think that there are a lot of people who, who say, as you did, well, if you have to pick, he's probably the worst of Celtic's three main Japanese players. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but you did see, uh, you did see why Maeda was called up because his work rate, mm-hmm. his staff, his intensity, uh, was what helped Japan press and yep. ca- and make those counters, and that's that's what changed the pace of the game for Japan. That he was the difference maker there, and that was the because uh, those skills, that aggression, that pressing, that was what Moriyasu needed to play that sort of counter attack, to play that rope a dope, and could. Hatate have worked. I don't quite know. Uh, oh, he was have done. He was. He, he 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 could have, but okay. But here's but here, here's the thing: for Hatate to work, you need to be playing possession based football, and that's not what Moriasu was playing. Moriasu was was playing rope dope, and it worked um, to the extent that it worked in the in the group stages. But he, I, I think you. Moriasu does ha- has always has sort of this different perspective. He hasn't been playing Ange ball. I think that's the thing. Mm. Everyone wants to see Japan play Ange ball, and Moriasu isn't quite ready to make that leap yet. And so, yeah. if you're going to be playing counter football, if you're going to be playing that press, then Maida makes perfect sense. And I think that him playing at the World Cup did inspire him. I think it showed him that, yes, you can keep at it and you may not have the technique, but, it, you know, if you bring that persistence, if you bring that energy, you will be rewarded. And so I think that it's totally natural to see his form uh, since he's come back. And, and on, I was really happy to see him uh, do that well at the World Cup and to see him doing well. I mean, he's uh, such an entertaining player in a different way than Hatate and Kyogo are entertaining, but like he, yeah. he had all the elements in him to become this sort of cult hero type at Celtic. And mm-hmm. he, he's succeeding in that regard. And, and so I think that he's still got, he, he still has room to grow. Uh, and he's still a very relatively young player. And he's got, uh, I think that he'll, he can absolutely be a key part of Japan for this cycle. You cannot train that raw aggression and raw speed that he has. It's incredible. I agree with you Art, about the touch. Sometimes his touch can be questionable, but seeing all the big games for us, he plays no matter what and if he's fit. Um, to round off the World Cup chat, Charles Smith comes in. Can you see Ange ever taking the Japan national team if the job came up? Uh, Cards on the table, Dan. Let me hear you. You would love to see it. Um... I think that I know he's talked about not wanting to do the he prefer, he's talked about preferring club football because you are working with the players every day. And I think that you do sort of need that um when you're playing Ange ball because it does require that you keep it up over the course of a season. It's not something that you can learn in a week of, you know, in, in yeah. you know, an international match week. It would be fun. Um, we love to see it. I just, I, I don't know. I think that if you, I think the JFA is sort of skittish on foreign managers. It's been sort of up and down uh, 
over the, especially over the previous decade, you had Zaccaroni who won the Asian Cup very early, but underperformed in Brazil. You had Aguirre who had his complications. Um, you had Halajic who had tried to change things up too much, but maybe uh, butted heads with uh, the football community here a bit too much uh, for his own good. I'll tell you, the media here love Ange. Um, oh, they, no. would, yeah, yeah. they would love to have him back. I mean, I think that if you, if you want to play that sort of style, you, know, you can go for like a Japanese manager like Toru Oniki, who has been playing his own attacking brand at Kawasaki Frontale for, God, how long has he been there? Six or seven seasons at this point. Okay. And... It has been, and they they won four J one titles in that span. Um, yeah, that you look at why Hatate was such a good player. That's how that's where he came up. You look at Kaburu Mitoma, That's where he came up. Um, so would I mean I know Ange was reportedly on some short lists. Um, can the JFA afford him? That's another question. Uh, but yeah. I, if they got the opportunity, it'd be fun. I don't think there's a lot of people who would say no to that. I mean, over here, Dan, according to every journalist and every media organization, Postlecoglu's been on every short list that's been available for jobs. He keeps getting mentioned for everything. Sometimes you just think they want them away as quick as they can. But when you were last on, we spoke about Maeda, Hatate, and Kyogo. Now we're going to speak about the other one of the four, Edoguchi. I feel so sorry for this player because... What I've seen of him for the short time, he looked decent. He could carry the ball, he could play good passes. And I know he went to his new club on loan from us and he's broke his ankle or he's done something to his ankle and he's out for three months. He fractured it, he's out till June, I believe. And it's just like, this is just sort of like, um, Yoma Miyaichi is the player I'm thinking of who would, I mean, he was, he, he, was signed for Arsenal and then one injury after another. And he played at St. Pauli for a while in um, the Tubunas. And, you know, he, he came back to Yokohama and he was getting into the national team picture. And then he did his ACL again. I think he's had like three ACL tears in the last decade. And he keeps coming back. It's amazing. I mean, the fact that he can keep, keep getting injured like that and yet he keeps, you know, recovering uh, Ideguchi, i mean just it's such tough luck um mm-hmm. brutal brutal yeah it's 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 a shame because i think i might have mentioned this um when i was on last i was pitch side doing photography uh in i think it was 2017 when japan clinched world cup qualification uh it was with a win against australia uh, I believe under Ange Postacoglu's Australia. Uh, and <laughs> the second goal they scored was this Idaguchi rocket. I mean, this thing could have gone to Mars, the intensity behind it. And you saw that and you thought that he was in the running for the national team. And, and that was the game that w- was, that was his arrival. Uh, and then he was sort of on the bubble uh, for Russia and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I think he was one of the backup players, but he didn't make the squad. And then he went to Leeds, and that didn't really, you know, his whole thing in Spain. And then he came back and well, went to Celtic, and you thought that maybe this is a turning point. It, it just the bet didn't pay out. And it's, I think he's you know still on loan. Uh, there, there's hope for him yet. But um, some players just don't luck out when it comes to injuries. It's It's really all you can say i mean we've had a few injury prone players over the years the thing about edaguchi for me was i remember you were telling me what kind of player he was he got excited and you were excited to see that and when he came onto the pitch he looked good he looked he, basically what you said the player profile at that, at that time and he went to his new club and he seen these snaps of him in training he was enjoying training again get going, going to get minutes of the pitch and he plays again breaks his ankle it's terrible yeah. anthony dunn comes in Looked good when he came on on his debut, but was targeted by the Alloa Thugs. Then looked good against Black- Blackburn in pre-season and got injured again. 100% awfully. Totally agree. I'm going to put you on the spot here, right? 
mm-hmm. and I, I, I didn't send over to you because I totally forgot about it. But just to kind of round off the, the podcast, and thanks, Dan, for coming on again. If you could pick three players out of the J League to watch out for, and maybe for the next move, who would it be? Um, I'll give you. Well, let's see. I'll give you one. I'll give you one because I'll be honest. Like I, 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 I'm still sort of getting back uh, in, into the swing of things. I mean, I, my match, I was out. I had long, <laughs> I had long COVID over the winter, so I missed a lot of moves. Uh, so I haven't really gotten to see the, the full uh, breadth of, of the league these days. But the the uh, the one player that I'm tell, I'll tell everyone to look out for uh, is FC Tokyo uh, attacking midfielder Kudi Umatsuki. Uh, who uh, has missed the last couple rounds. He was on uh, duty for the Japan under-20s in the under-20 Asian Cup. Uh, And he is bound for Europe. Uh, He is going, going, I I think that he'll go, if not this summer, then in the winter. Um, A phenomenal talent. Uh, Really did well uh, in his his rookie year last season, uh, continuing to grow. Uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, potential. Re- I mean, really, uh, if, if you if you go and find highlights of, of this under twenty Asian Cup, Japan uh, fell in the semis last night to Iraq. I think it was after uh, extra time and penalties. So one of those games. Uh, but yeah, it's you're going to see so much more talent out of that generation, um, out of the. A generation that is approaching uh, the Paris Olympics. Uh, if you look at the squad, which I did bring it up um, to you earlier, but the fact that there are a couple players uh, who are going to possibly be in the, in the Olympic picture: uh, Yokohama mm-hmm. Marinos, uh, Yotaro, Yotaro Tsunoda, uh, who played last year, and and he's in the squad. Uh, Miku Honda from Gambo Osaka. He's a, def- uh, I believe, a defender, uh, and and he's gotten his first call up. I'm a big fan of Kosei Tani at goalkeeper, uh, who he was the goalkeeper for Japan at the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, he's been on loan at Shonan Belmare for the last couple seasons, and this year he's back to Gambo Osaka, where Idaguchi played. Uh, you'd like to see goalkeepers go to Europe and make <laughs> yeah. the first team. That's the biggest challenge. Um, that's where Japan is probably weakest in terms of not, not necessarily the talent pool, but in terms of development, uh, because we had Eiji Kawashima for so long. And then Chuichi Gonda sort of became the first choice choice for Qatar, which was a bit of a head scratcher, but now uh, we don't quite know uh, where that's coming. Another uh, another youngster who made this Japan squad is, is Kashif uh, Bangnagande, uh, who is uh, left back at FC Tokyo, sort of a, a disciple these days of um, Yuto Nagatomo, who you may know from his time at, at Inter. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, played four, four World Cups with this national team. Um, so Kashif is he's his father is from Ghana and his mother is Japanese. So it's nice to see that it's nice to see that sort of diversity in the Japan squad. Yeah. And he's definitely going to be an Olympic contender, national team project someday. Uh, really eager to keep an eye on his development and how he does. But yeah, look at look at the under twenties. Look at I, I believe there's another uh, under twenty or under twenty two uh, squad that just got announced uh, for a European trip. Uh, either late this month or early next month. So tons of talent. Um, just watch, and yeah. I will uh, promote the league here uh, from this year. I believe the J League is showing live games on YouTube now. Uh, for I'll, I think, get that. I'll, four, I'll get into that. Four games around. Um, and you got basically everywhere in the world but Japan and a couple other countries. So you can just watch, game, watch the J League. Um, we've still got those two 3 p.m. kickoffs so you know you might have to get up a little a little early for it but um <laughs> you know there's there's no football like free football and it, it, exactly it, it, i think they're mostly focusing on some of the bigger clubs uh but it will give you a chance to watch the, the you know to watch these teams play and to to see who's available 
Um, so it's like anyone yeah. can sort of be a scout at this point because there's there's so much talent um, and there really is so much to see. And it, it's really good to see the J League uh, do the streaming, do the YouTube thing uh, after uh, dealing with sort of weird broadcast deals for the last few years. So do take advantage of that. And uh, hey, we're open to tourists again. So I hope to you know, come out to a game. Uh, masks are going. Uh, cheering is back. Uh, atmospheres are returning. And it's just, you know, this is going to be a big year for the J League, especially because it's the 30th anniversary season. Uh, so there's a lot to celebrate. 100%. And the whole scouting point, I was going to say that as well. So well brought up. There'll be a lot of people on their armchairs watching the Japanese players, Higginson or Selly, Higginson or Selly. I mean, there's no doubt down in my mind there will be a, another big influx of Japanese players to the league, whether it's at Celtic or other clubs. Because I think what's happened is, like what you told me before, Pasta Coglu opened a new landscape in Japan and he's done the exact same thing in Scottish football. There'll be teams looking there, hearts have done it. Mullerwell, well, although uh, Danzaki was in the A-League, but he played in the J-League for, for a team. So there's plenty of scouting opportunities and stuff across the world and across the globe. But, I mean, Dan, thanks for coming on again. Have you enjoyed it? I have. I hope you got, I hope you, you, you I haven't bored your listeners too much. Um, no, no, it's always a pleasure. It's uh, been, you know, it, it's been so cool to see these players evolve and to see them become... Uh, so beloved by Celtic fandom. Uh, I think that those of us who in the beginning were, you know, blowing the horn for Ange and saying, listen, you just got to trust him. Um, And and hey, he delivered. And uh, I think that it's amazing that Kyogo and Maida have have done uh, as well as they have so quickly. And, uh, you know, as for Iwata and Kobayashi, give them time. Uh, Maybe we'll see them suit up uh, here because it hasn't been announced yet, but there is that summer tour uh, that has been rumored. And yes, it's it's all but confirmed. I mean, everyone sort of understands it's happening. I have no details. I I, even if I wanted to leak something here, I truly do not have (laughs) any details. Um, I think everyone expects that. And we'll, they'll probably play one game against uh, Marinos just so Ange can face his former club. And and so Maida mm. can face his former club. I think that everyone sort of expects that's going to be one of the games. Uh, but the J-League is planning a lot for the summer. I think that they're going to do um, the World Challenge where they sort of call up a couple of big European clubs. Manchester City uh, are rumored. I, I've the heard PSG, the other team, rumored. isn't it? So PSG came here last year and it's been rumored that they're planning another trip. And I, I don't have that confirmed yet, but uh, it printed money. That that tour set a record uh, for like merch sales for like a Japan, for like a sporting event in Japan. They were pulling in a million dollars a day. So oh. if they, yeah, I mean, they sold tickets to their training sessions and those sold out um so yeah you know they can print psg can come here whenever they want i do i want to see it not you know meh like been there done that but <laughs> i mean i i think celtic i think celtic is a lock man city is very likely uh bayern have been rumored uh, i don't know if they're going to play each other while they're here uh, i think that the, the j league wants to see them play against J- japanese clubs uh, but it, yeah. it's going to be a, a really cool summer to to get those clubs out, to get them out in front of full stadiums with fans cheering, which we didn't have last year. Uh, and yeah, so that's something to look forward to. And, um, you know, hey, if you come over for the, the Celtics tour, we can do a live version of this sometime. Oh, Dan, that's a brilliant fight. I mean, I hope to take up a whole day. It's just to travel. I hate airplanes. I'm, I'm, I'm feared of going on planes. So, I'll think about it like <laughs> but in terms of that as well, I mean I've seen your post about the the Celtic FC Twitter account. That's fairly uh, grown mm-hmm. the Japan one in terms of the European clubs, which is great to see. And I do want to make the, the viewers aware we will be back again tonight at eight PM for our usual podcast slot. So you're getting two podcasts in one day, a brilliant day, which is St. Patrick's Day, and I hope you all have a great one and we'll see you later on tonight. Stay well, keep safe. Hill hill. <laughs>